We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No Mike tonight. He's at the arena, probably doing post-game right as we're recording this. And so, haven't done the rewatch or anything like that. We're recording right after the game on a night where the Lakers fell to the Pelicans, and in doing so, probably died their rightful death for the season. It's still mathematically possible that they make the play-in, but... Between the tiebreaker situation where they are in the standings and a very difficult schedule over the last five games, and then just the context of the season, the team doesn't have a whole lot of mojo going on right now. It's to, to me tonight, D was the, the night that it ended. And there are some some games, especially recently, where I've been like, man, what are we going to talk about? How do we say, you know, they're, they didn't play particularly engaged basketball. We're really hurt. We don't have forwards, right? We've uh, we spend five days a week talking about this team and breaking down all of the details of that. And I think in some ways we'll do that for this game. But one thing that struck me tonight was there were so many things that were kind of a microcosm of the season in general. And so many so many trends, so many mistakes that we made, so many uh, just circumstances surrounding it, both good and bad, that I, I was really struck by that. And. I was thinking, how do we talk about this game in particular? Because this is one that I wish we had three pods for, and perhaps we'll talk more about it next week. But I want to start with the context of the game. Mike nailed it in, and I wish he was here tonight, because this is a pod that I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear his perspective on. But Mike nailed it in the group chat, where he was like, this is a preseason vibe in a must-win game. Like, which is very odd, right? You've got Anthony Davis returning from missing 18 games from an injury. And under normal circumstances, that first game that you have back is kind of like work yourself back into the flow type of game in, again, normal circumstances. This is a, oh, if we don't win tonight, we're probably not making the play in. Good luck with that, AD. First game in six weeks, must win game, right? LeBron is playing on both a bad knee and a bad ankle, and he hasn't been out for as long, but there is certainly a certain degree of rhythm that comes with that. But just the nature of the game and the circumstances coming into the game, very strange game and an opponent that we had just played. 
Yeah, and this idea of this game serving as somewhat of a microcosm for what the Lakers season has been, I think is just a great jumping off point for the conversation in general. And it leads me back to a conversation, Pete, that we had all had maybe a handful of pods ago, sort of previewing this last stretch of several games that the Lakers have have played where that were really going to be bookended by these Pelicans games that the team has played and how important those games were. And of course, the Lakers have gone 0-2 in those games. And that's, like you said, probably the death knell for the season. But when we talked about the Pelicans in that pod, there was a lot of, you know, this particular team with their specific ingredients are problematic for the Lakers in very specific ways. It's like all the things that we have problems with in terms of a a scorer, like an individual scorer, they've got each of those guys. So it makes them this very specific matchup problem for us. So one of the things that I was talking about in our group thread during the game was like, there's going to be people who look at what Frank Vogel did with the lineups tonight and be like, oh, well, there we go again. There's Frank. And there's definitely an element of that, right? He started Dwight Howard. He started Avery Bradley. He started Russell Westbrook. Is And then with LeBron and AD and it's sort of just like, okay, well, that group's not going to be able to score at all. Like, we've seen this movie before. But one of the things that Frank was trying to accomplish, I think, was what's the best way we could deal with these specific ingredients that we know are going to give us problems? And there's only a couple of different ways that you can defend this team with so many of the weaknesses that the Lakers have from an individual defender's standpoint. So Frank literally said, these are some of the best individual defensive players that we have to throw at these specific guys. The only thing he could have done differently, Pete, was really not start Russell Westbrook and start like another forward to sure. defend Ingram. Well, we had rotation changes tonight, too. This was a back against the wall, must win game. Like those types of games for a coach, you put all your cards out on the table, right? There are things that you want to be doing. But, you know, Austin Reeves got pulled from the rotation. Uh, Avery Bradley started, like you said, and played 30 plus minutes. Dwight started, even though AD is back. And THT THT did not didn't play at all at all. Melo was was out with the with an illness. Right. And and so but. Yeah, the THT and Austin were the two major moves there. And then Avery coming back into and it's I, I've always said over the years in Frank's tenure that he always tries to solve his problems with defense. Yes. And this was an example of that because the matchup problems you're talking about to me are CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Jonas Valanciunas for three different reasons. And for each of those guys, it was like, all right, point of attack, you know, we got CJ McCollum, Avery Bradley. That's your job. Yeah. Big old dude and Jonas Valanciunas, Dwight. That's your job. And so there's offensive problems that pop up from that. But you see the thought process in the first place. Yes. And then on top of that, there's a chain reaction, the way that the Lakers want to defend and the specific skill sets of what the Pelicans players are. And so it's one thing to say like, oh, CJ McCollum, you're a point of attack scorer and a ball handler. Yeah, well, he's also an elite pull up shooter. 
So you have to go over the top of screens against him. And the best solution to that is to play higher at the point of attack or to switch. Like basically, you're not going to come off this screen clean. But the Lakers can't switch because Valachutis is the guy who is then rolling to to the paint. And then this that triggers all of these other dominoes, right? Where you're scramming guys out of the post in order to then switch guys off. And you can do that. You can do that. But if I'm, and I'm not even saying if I'm Frank Vogel, I'm saying if I'm me and I'm forced to make the decision, there's nothing in the history of this team that tells me they are going to execute anything that reaches a certain threshold of, hey, you have to make multiple decisions correctly within a defensive possession. And I think that's where the tipping point for this game mostly was. There was a lot of stuff that happened within the context of like the other team has players too that are really good guys and they hit a lot of shots. Some of them were the exact shots the Lakers wanted them to take and and they hit them and some of the shots were like, oh, you're giving me that? Okay, I'll take that, right? You're short. I'm just going to shoot over the top of you. So talk to me a little bit about those things rubbing up against each other and how I thought credit to the Pelicans for playing to the level they needed to play to, but it was frustrating too at times to sort of watch the Lakers get caught a little bit in a very sort of vanilla game plan that exposed them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when our backs were against the wall, we chose to play a phone booth game right? That just by the nature of the starting lineup, it's going to be a certain type of game. And that is a type of game that I know Frank Vogel prefers. That is the type of basketball he's comfortable with. And he feels when our backs are against the wall, this is what I can trust. Because this has been a team that's been giving up just a ton of points recently. I would argue that the absence of Anthony Davis is the number one factor within that. And due to all of the in the guys coming in and out of the lineup, this was a, what our 38th lineup, I think, tonight, that running his system correctly, even with with good defensive players just requires a certain degree of connectivity that this season did not allow for that. It was one of those nights where when we talk about kind of like the microcosm and I think some of our sins being revisited, this was a night where like, if we had a zone look, it would have been helpful at least just to like throw them off of their rhythm. Cause the Pelicans are the type of team where on defense for us, like if you're taking one thing away that they're good at, you're giving up another thing. And it's very specific to that trio, right? Um, that really gives the Lakers problems. And I, on a, in a couple of those instances, it's because we were too short. Even though we were a big team, we were too short at certain positions. And it's now Russell Westbrook having to guard Brandon Ingram. And he's he actually, I thought Russ played a really good defensive first half, at least. I thought it, it slipped a bit in the third quarter. But, you know, Russ can do everything right. And at some point, B.I., who's become one of the game's really great, tough shot makers over the top, B.I. is just going to go over the top of him. There's not much Russ can do if B.I. gets the ball past his shoulders. And so 
that's because we don't have the tall wings. We don't have the forwards, right? Again, it's this microcosm of the season. So let's take a break. I want to progress further in the game into the second quarter. This is the last game I really want to do this with, but I think that it, it matters to kind of see the bigger picture of the season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we had this period through this season where AD went down. Unfortunately, that happened a couple of times. And we had to figure out how do we play without Anthony Davis and while knowing that, you know, our fives are either not very mobile or inconsistent in terms of what they can offer athletically. They can't space the floor, right? So how do we win without Anthony Davis was a question that we had to ask a lot this season. And one of the things we tried to to do was go very small to do that. And that was an adventure where we did some things well and we did some things poorly. And in this game, one of the parts of the game where it started to, I think, get away from us a little bit, although it was competitive throughout, was we were in our small lineups in that second quarter. And there were a couple of groups and not having THT is, is part of this for sure. Not including him in that as well, but uh, there's certain like player duos where like Malik Monk and DJ Augustine, where it's like, we've got good offensive spacing, but those two together cause a certain degree of chain reaction effect where it's like, you can have one guy that's really small on the floor, but once you have you have two, it's difficult to cover up for that. So I again in this whole idea of it of uh, different parts of this game reflecting the overall course of the season, that was something that stood out to me. And I, I don't want to just focus on the negatives just because we lost that game because I did think that there were good elements of both the big style of play and the smaller style, but we saw just kind of different parts of it that had been haunting us throughout the season. Yeah, I also thought, too, that let me go back to the first quarter just really quickly, because I thought that the phone booth game and the nature of the game that the Lakers won and the play was really right there for them. It was halfway through the quarter and the Pelicans had like 12 points. Mm -hmm. Right. And the Lakers were started 10 for 13 from the field. Yep. Yes. And this idea of, okay, well, we can we can play this style most of the game and even if cj and brandon are hitting shots we're going to be able to score on them in in a way that we're going to be able to to keep pace or extend it over the course of the game 
And so when you fast forward, though, over the course of the rest of the game, and this is a thing that I think, again, is a microcosm for what the Lakers season is, Frank went to almost all of his best defenders in, a, in the first lineup that he played. And so mm-hmm. every substitution that he made after the fact made his defense worse and worse and worse. Right. And so by the time you get to the second quarter and you're talking about, oh, well, look, there's a lineup with DJ Augustine and Malik Monk and Russell Westbrook and Stanley Johnson. And it's just like, oh, damn, there's literally no size here. Right. Or instead of Stanley, it's Wenyon Gabriel and LeBron James. And it's just like, okay, well, you've got two good forward size players, but like literally a 5'11 dude, right? A 6'1 dude, and then a 6'3 guy. And it's sort of just like, okay, well, there's no size anywhere not else. Not like that. Yeah. Yes. Not like that. And the team was just struggling then to make, I don't want to say the basic plays or, or the simple plays, but they were just disadvantaged in too many ways and they were they were able to spread the floor and gabriel's activity like there was a sequence with gabriel where i want to (laughs) say he he had he might have had a turnover and then he had two fouls over the span of like three possessions he had an offensive rebound right and and a layup or something like he had this this whole sequence where over like a five or a six possession stretch, he was right in the middle of everything good and bad. And it was a tornado. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my goodness, this dude. Yeah. This dude is just like making hustle plays, but making mistakes. And there's a reason why he only played like four minutes this game. But I think in those four minutes, he might've had two or three fouls. And it was symbolic of the sort of energy, I think, that the Lakers have needed to play with. But the drawbacks of when that energy isn't channeled with the right sort of purpose and decisiveness and of IQ. You think of a guy like Alex Caruso, for example, and he's channeling all of that energy and effort into IQ plays and making the right reads and being in the right spots. And Gabriel is sort of more like a whirlwind, right? That that sort of like, oh, I wish we had that, but it could be more contained. Like, how can you harness sure. that? I thought that the Lakers, though, were still hanging tight, right? We get to halftime and it's tied, basically. There was a basket that got disallowed after the fact. Um, so after giving up, I think maybe 32 points in the first quarter um, or something like that, it was tied at 50, right? And, and so for all of the the Lakers, like self-inflicted boons and they do it to themselves and things aren't working, um, it's tied. It's 50 to 50. And the Lakers have probably had one of their better sort of, I don't want to say if not defensive halves, they have like held on to the rope more than maybe even what our conversation has implied that they have to this point. Right. And I think that our downness is because of the results, not necessarily because of all of the process, because a lot of the process worked. So let's jump ahead to the third quarter. So on the other side of this break, let's 
let's discuss a little bit more about where things started to really look like, oh, the Lakers are pulling this together some. And I thought really got our spirits going up a little bit there. So let's turn it to the positive. And one of the positives of this season is LeBron James, the scorer or the older scorer, has been unlocked uh, this season in ways that I think are really worth celebrating and are going to be really important to the franchise next season and hopefully beyond. And he had, a, I think, a 17-point third quarter. It was at least 17. I don't know if he had, had more than that. But he played with a level of desperation in the third quarter that I actually, I don't know what happened in the fourth quarter. I, and I haven't heard the post-game remarks um, and Obviously, he's coming off of a bad knee, bad ankle. Like, I'm not worried about LeBron, but he played with a certain verve in the third quarter that he did not play with in the fourth quarter for whatever reason. And he was attacking the basket with a spaced floor, especially, you know, once in that latter half of the quarter. He played the whole quarter close to it and was just getting to the rim at will. He's his pull up jumper has really improved and his and his post game as well. Right. And, And so it was this combination D of all of the scoring elements of his game in a year where he moved into number two all time that he's, you know, right at at the league lead of scores in the NBA. And I think that that is likely to be more and more of his role going forward. Um, I, I think that's kind of the natural final phase of his career is that Michael Jordan in the high post, Kobe, same type of spot. I see him transitioning into LeBron's version of that, where, of course, he's still the on-ball shot creator, and that's the guy that you want with the ball when uh, when you need it the most. But I thought that he illustrated a, gr- a degree of scoring both on the ball and off this year and a level of jump shooting that I think he's found a way to maintain his superstardom over the course of a longer period of time than anyone ever has. I think it puts another year or two onto the end of his career of him being able to still be that caliber of player. Yeah, and I think that this is going to be a really uh, much longer conversation that goes not only the rest of this regular season, but if the Lakers are fortunate enough to make the postseason, then through that portion of the year and then into the offseason as well. is. I'll be very interested to know how many like healthy games LeBron has left in his career, right? Mm. Because some of what we've been seeing in terms of the adjustments and the jump shooting and the scoring, he's, I think, shifted more towards that part of his game because he can still do that even if he's not at his physical best. It's also less risky to in terms of accruing more of those injuries, although he's become he's used a lot more physicality around the rim. Yeah. And that can be that can uh, there's a wear and tear to all that bumps and and all of that. There is. And I think that also puts you in a position where there's just more feet and legs and people in crowded spaces when you're no, playing. Fair point. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he had a couple of plays this game where he's trying to finish inside and guys are just jumping around him. He mm-hmm. he got hit in the head a couple of times, which is that happens to LeBron. He drives to the especially when he's driving to to the basket. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one play in particular where he sort of 
got a ball and it was maybe in a scrum. It was maybe in a post entry, but he pivoted away and then he tried to do like a quick jump score and he sort of jumped into Larry Nance a little bit and then Nance fell on top of him and LeBron was sort of ducking and covering as a body fell on top of him. And I'm just like, oh man, like those are the types of plays that not that you get injured on, but it's just like those you're in the fray so much more when you're down there a lot. It doesn't surprise me. There are times where LeBron's like, I'm not going to be in the post today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I am going to shoot step back jumpers. And you see that from guys as they start to age in general. So the spirit, though, from a tactical standpoint, that spirit that you were talking about that LeBron was was playing with, it coincided a fair amount with like. Look who was in the game for the Pelicans. Right. Also, Russ, Russ got pulled early in that quarter. I forgot to bring this part up because I want to, you know, focus on LeBron for a bit. But yeah, let's make sure we talk about that, too. Yes. And so but the way that Willie Green was handling his substitution patterns, there was a stretch of the game where Valanchunas, B.I. and C.J. McCollum were all on the all bench. on the bench. Mm-hmm. And that's when Brom was just like, this is my chance to really surge and take over the game and he did that's when he went crazy and he was driving to the basket and there was no rim protection back there the only guy back there was larry nance and it was sort of just like and he was counting the seconds and nance was in the paint and then he's driving right when nance has to vacate it was vintage classic lebron but at this stage of his career where it's just like he used to be able to do that if it was a massive seven footer that was still mm-hmm. in the lane. And now he does that less when there's a big, massive dude that's going to block up the paint the way that a Valanchunas might. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, that was not just a small ingredient for what led to LeBron. Uh, now, mind you, there was real verve. And I think LeBron has maybe one or two stretches like that every game, unless it's like one of those 50-point nights where he's where it's really extended, where he really says foot on the gas time. Let's see if I can take this game over now. And he typically successfully can. But I thought that there were factors that led to that, including Russ not being in the game. Where did you sort of see all of that sort of coming together there in the third for him? So yeah, Russ goes out with at the 930 mark of the third quarter for what I believe was two consecutive really bad efforts in transition defense where B.I. is a guy that will just eat up if you're not squared to him with his hips. Like he's just going to go right over you if you're not just in proper position. And so Russ gets pulled and he gave fouls too, which was also like, Mm. so yes, those two, those two things connected. Mm. Russ was giving fouls where maybe he did not need to give fouls. Mm -hmm. Right. But the fouls were a result of sort of poor effort plays where he did not make the effort at the beginning, right? Like we always talk about do your work early when it comes to defense. You have to do your work early. And Russ has been particularly in this stretch of the game. I thought he was being particularly obstinate in terms of doing his work early on B.I. in transition, especially. Well, and it's a must win game, right? Like that, we, we talk so much about the on court stuff and, and the details of, of that, but it's a certain mentality too that I think that this is part 
of a thing that we've seen this season is that like, you know, I understand over the course of 82, you're going to have some moments where you jog back in transition defense and you don't get square as early as you can. And somebody will beat you with the speed attack because your hips are turned and they'll get to the rim or something like that. But in a game like this, where you're basically playing for the season of the team, right? Like those are the types of errors that to me, it's like, no, no. And, and, when he pulled him, I was like, absolutely. When I was saying that in the text thread, right? Yep. I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't have that in a game like this. And so Malik, I believe, comes in for Russ. And this is another thing that, again, microcosm of the season. This is the f- probably funnest stretch of this basketball game is LeBron gets out in transition and Malik is running with it. And w- so one of the things that has been most different from my expectations uh, at the beginning of the season versus what it ended up being is I do think that that like kind of run and gun style or look, I think that we can have a really good version of that going forward in part because this is the first year where we really went toward LeBron at the five at certain part uh, points. We didn't really do that in this game, but that wide open style where we're flying up and down the court. I just thought Russell Westbrook was going to be a more important part of that than he like I am totally down with that style and but it's way more and we were talking about this in the text thread where it's like oh like a skill guard it's a skill guard yep. that you put next to LeBron and AD we haven't even talked about AD tonight no we we'll, need, we're going to get to get him because I think that Thank you. his performance was important in its own way I think that this is an important point about the transition and where the Lakers can eat and live on offense in really important ways and sort of like building towards that more in the future, which I think is important. Yeah. Like how do we, what do we do this off season? That's going to be the next big question that the Lakers face. And I think that uh, a study of this season and what went wrong, but also what went right and why is going to be very necessary to getting us out of the hole that we're in. And so Malik is one of the, is, is Malik was the best part of the off season, right? He was the best relative to what we gave up for him or what he he's making, what we signed him for, right? Malik has been a joy to watch throughout the season. He doesn't come without his faults, but they can they hit a certain level of speed out in the open floor when it's Malik, LeBron and AD in that third quarter stretch where it's like, oh, and we're getting to the line and AD's like starting to overwhelm people with his size and athleticism where it's like, yo, that's the little glimpse, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of going forward, I think is really built a lot around that type of idea. Now, I think there's a larger con- conversation to have about Malik and, and where he fits in. But talk to me about what you saw in that stretch, because that coincided with some of LeBron's best basketball. And I don't think it's a coincidence. No, I don't think it's a coincidence either. I think that Malik Malik has the right sort of skill set that can really complement LeBron and AD, right? And in the last game that the Lakers played, which was another disappointing loss, Malik had had some really good plays and some chemistry with Dwight Howard, right? And it's sort of just like, oh, look at the different plays that Malik is making off of the dribble and in terms of shot creation, both for himself and for teammates. And you saw that some with LeBron, and with AD today too, right? He, I think he had a nice dump off pass for AD to get him a dunk. And he's developed some nice chemistry with LeBron 
in the pick and roll as well, although Malik sort of shows his flaws as a passer. He can be too loose. He does a lot of one-handed, like, hook passes type type of passes where once you go into your passing motion, you're toast. Committed. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. It's it, either going to like if someone gets a handout or jumps that bet. That's the thing I always grumbled about in our text thread is the freaking one handed passes. Those drive me crazy. But he creates shots out of like there's an upside to that, too. No, there is. And so and he had a couple of turnovers this game doing that. Right. And then he he had a fast break play too, where he over penetrated and then he was looking to pass back and then he threw it out, out of bounds. And so Malik is always running hot. And when you're running hot, it's just like, okay, well, you could burn the other team and you could burn yourself a little bit. And we saw a little bit of both. And again, a microcosm for what this season has been with well, with Malik. But that pace and that tempo that they were able to play to, to play with, that still does partner great with LeBron. And when LeBron is in the mood or feels that this is the this is the time for him then he can turn a quick inbounds like there was a play where ingram scored and but he went to the ground and lebron passed it to stanley and said inbound this as quickly as you can and lebron sprinted up court and then he ended up getting a layup right and it was this part of the game where it was monk and it was i think stanley might have been back in at this point and it was ad and it was LeBron, and they were just racing up and down the court and, and trying to create shots in in transition and keep the Pelicans on their heels. And there is that is something that I hope that they hold on to for beyond this season. But I do want to get back to AD here and, and make sure that we probably close out by just talking about him. He's not played in, what, almost 20 games, so 18 games. So it's been, what, six weeks, seven weeks since since he last played a basketball game? And you had mentioned it earlier, but this idea of, yeah, normally this would be like a warm-up sort of situation. Man. Like, hey, like maybe get you 20 minutes, 25 minutes, minutes restriction type mm-hmm. of game. Nope, there was none of that. And AD... I thought looked good overall. Mm-hmm. I thought he passed the ball well. I thought he mm-hmm. seemed to have more rhythm at the beginning of the game than LeBron did, for example, where LeBron was kicking the ball all over the court a little bit. So what did you see from, from AD? Let's start with the good, but then also, like, did you actually even see any bad when, when it came to AD? Just really, like out of rhythm stuff and like the only bad thing is a more like it's a more global issue of that his jumper hasn't been very good the last two seasons yeah and now there's a difference between his three ball and he hit a really nice step back three in this game um and his mid-range jumper has been okay this season uh but that element of his game kind of falling off over the last couple of seasons is the only like bad thing that I, that I saw but what I what most of it was for me was I missed him. I've missed Anthony Davis this season. Yeah. Anthony Davis is one of the really breathtaking players in the NBA. And when he's right, which he's either been he's either been like injured or coming off of an injury for so much of this season that even the 
30, I think this is his 38th game. Last like, season too, Pete. It's been yeah. two seasons of this. You know, this is one of those seasons, man, where like it's very obvious the basketball gods are punishing us and we have no right to ask anything. But if I could ask for one thing, it would be for Anthony Davis to have a healthy season next year because like he went up for a couple of rebounds today where it was like, man, he just makes some plays where it's just like, like you know, you know how much we love basketball, yep. and he's one of the guys that can just hit heights, even when he's at his like, he's got no rhythm. He hasn't played in ages. He doesn't have his conditioning. Like he's not in sync, but he just some does some things where it's just like, man, that guy is so good. And it's just been a sh- I've I've missed him. Uh, that was the my really overwhelming feeling was I, I I really hope that he can get a healthy season next year. Yeah, he was maybe at like sixty percent. Yeah. This game, like there were times where if he revved up to 75%, 78%, right, where he got to the top of the square for a rebound or out jumped a couple of people. But for the most part, he played a mostly ground bound game where yeah. he was not super explosive. He didn't have a ton of touch around the basket. Even he he like he missed a couple of floaters. There was that floater late that he missed really bad, like when the Lakers were starting to fall apart there late in the fourth quarter. And you could just tell that he just needs more time. And it's and time is exactly what the Lakers do not have. And I thought and this is probably a good place to end. And we can pick it up again, probably on Monday or Sunday Mm -hmm. night, maybe after um, the Nuggets game. And we've got another look at 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 AD, but there's there's a level that he can hit that it's just like he just needs rhythm, and he didn't have that. This will will this game the plays that he made that stood out they stood out to me because there's not a single Laker that has been able to make those plays this season not ex- even close except for that, like maybe LeBron James and even then like no he, he's been hurt so much and like had so much emphasis on like scoring the ball that some of the like oh yeah look at this defensive like play where I'm rotating and then like being in two places at once and then finishing it off with a rebound that's like, you know, a foot above the rim. It's just like, yeah, no one's really done that at all for the Lakers all season. And the only guy that can is this dude. And that's what you've missed, right? Like that idea of, and that sort of like, oh, yeah, there's guys that are supposed to be able to do that on your basketball team and the Lakers haven't had theirs. Well, it's such a wild swing because we don't have it like when in Gabriel is and who's a recent addition is the only other guy who does like tall guy things in, in like tall athletic guy things. Right. Because Dwight's been so ground groundbound although something got into him the last couple of games like even in this game I thought he was it was one of his most athletic games. Uh, but yeah that when you go from not having Anthony Davis on a team that has so little of these attributes to having AD, it's so striking. That really stood out to me in watching this game. It was just like, oh, that's right. Like a guy can get that rebound. Like we don't have to give up this offensive rebound when the ball caroms off this way is a guy like Anthony Davis can get the ball in in those circumstances. And so, yeah, it was just like a it, it, it both showed 
that he can't be the only guy on the team that does that yeah. <laughs> going forward, but also how special he is in those areas. Yeah, and so I think we could wrap it up here because, you know, like an old school L. Lafar pod before the brilliant Mike Trudell joined, we could probably go on and on and on. Oh, and, yeah. One of and, them. And 90 minute ones. Yep. And talk about a basketball game that we really wish the Lakers would have won because this game was one of the last like real good avenues for them to be able to like control some of their own destiny and say like okay well if we just do what we're supposed to do and and Mm -hmm. now that we've got our guys back there was a certain amount of belief that a win tonight could have inspired the last point i wanted to make is something that mike wanted us to pass along and i think that this also too is sort of symbolizes and maybe this is the last microcosm point about the whole season for the lakers but So much has gone wrong for the Lakers within the context of injuries and everything else. And and we've highlighted some of that tonight. But one of the other things that I think has has gone wrong that was that happened again tonight is that on a night where the Lakers really did play well enough to win. The other team had a couple of guys who just said not tonight. And the level of shot making that Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum exhibited was something that Mike really wanted us to highlight because the Lakers really did make that push that we talked about during the third, well, the third quarter. And it did come with those guys off the floor. But when they came back into the, to the game and like they did for most of the night, they just hit shot after shot after shot. They made play after play after play. They got to the foul line. They hit all their free throws. Um, I think combined, Pete, they shot almost 60% from from the field. They made all their free throws. They shot 40% from three. Um, B.I., I think, he went 10 for 17 from the field, but he didn't make a three. He was 0 for 2. So he went 10 for 15 on mostly jump shots, right? And McCollum, I don't think he got a layup all night. He And he was just knocking down line drive jumper after line drive jumper. And some of those were just heavily contested shots. And if there's nothing else, that was something that, that ultimately the Lakers, and this was Mike's point that the Lakers did not have the same connectivity that even like a a, a team like the Pelicans who made a big trade, don't have Zion, right? Like that they had to close out this, this game and even with LeBron and AD playing well it just wasn't enough for them and so there may be no better symbolic lesson from the season than how this game sort of went down the stretch well for, to me it was how they reacted to that is i thought we fell apart down the stretch we fell apart a lot this season and in some ways we fell apart this season and we got to pick up the pieces after that and so that and that came on the heels of really good players making plays that really good players make. And that's the nature of you've been watching the NBA. The NBA is starting to heat up 
little bit around the league and there've been some really good games recently where it's like, Oh, and then, then the other team goes back down the other uh, to the other end. And then someone else hits a great shot the way that BI and CJ McCollum were, were tonight. And that's just the nature of high level basketball, which I'm not saying, of course, these are two high level teams, but that was a, a pretty good game. It tonight. was a good game. And when it was time to make plays, several guys did and stepped up and the Lakers needed to make a couple of plays down the stretch and, and they didn't, and they didn't. And they and they kind of fell apart when when pushed, you know. Yeah. Like, and it, not the first time we've seen it happen this season. It's kind of a, an appropriate way to to finish. All right, we'll be back on Monday. We've got a game against Denver. We'll see how that goes. But it'd be good to have Mike back as well to kind of recount and and see where where he's at. So, all right, y'all have a have a good weekend. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Eck to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.